Chapter 6a of Native Races and the War by Josephine Elizabeth Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill Mosley. 6. The Career and Recall of Sir Bartlett Frere. Unfortunate Effect in South Africa of Party Spirit in Politics at Home. Death of Sir Bartlett Frere. The Great Principles of British Government and Law Hope for South Africa if these are maintained and observed Words of Mr. Gladstone on the Colonizing Spirit of Englishmen The case of Sir Bartle Frere illustrates forcibly the inexpediency of allowing our party differences at home to sow the seeds of discord in a distant colony and the apparent injustices to which such action may give rise. While in England Sir Bartle Frere was being censured and vilified, in South Africa an overwhelming majority of the colonists, of whatever race or origin, were declaring, in unmistakable terms, that he had gained their warmest approbation and admiration. Town after town and village after village poured in addresses and resolutions in different forms, agreeing in enthusiastic commendation of him as the one man who had grasped the many threads of the South African tangle and was handling them so as to promise a solution in accordance with the interests of all the many and various races which inhabited it. In our opinion, one of these resolutions, from Craddock, says, quote, His Excellency Sir Bartle Frere is one of the best governors, if not the best governor, this colony has ever had, and the disasters which have taken place since he has held office are not due to any fault of his, but to a shameful mismanagement of public affairs before he came to the colony and the state of chaos and utter confusion in which he had the misfortune to find everything on his arrival, and we are therefore of opinion that the thanks of every loyal colonist are due to His Excellency for the Herculean efforts he has since made under the most trying circumstances to South Africa. Another from Kimberley says, quote, it has been a source of much pain to us that your excellency's policy and proceedings should have been so misunderstood and misrepresented the time we hope is not far distant when the wisdom of your excellency's native policy and action will be as fully recognized and appreciated by the whole british nation as it is by the colonists of south africa End quote. at pretoria the capital of the transvaal a public meeting was held april twenty fourth which resolved that quote, this meeting reprobates most strongly the action of a certain section of the english and colonial press for censuring without sufficient knowledge of local affairs the policy and conduct of sir b frere and it desires not only to express its sympathy with sir b frere and its confidence in his policy but also to go so far as to congratulate most heartily her majesty the queen the home government and ourselves on possessing such a true considerate and faithful servant as his excellency the high commissioner End quote. 
A public dinner also was given to Sir B. Frere at Pretoria, at which his health was drunk with the greatest enthusiasm. There was a public holiday and other rejoicings. Sir Bartle Frere was intending to go to Blemfontein in the Orange Free State to visit President Brand, with whom he was on cordial terms, and with whom he wished to talk over his plans for the Transvaal. But instructions came from Sir Michael Hicks Beach to proceed to Cape Town. He therefore left Pretoria on May 1st. He was welcomed everywhere with the utmost cordiality and enthusiasm. At Pachefstroom there was a public dinner and a reception. On approaching Blimhof, he was met by a large cavalcade and escorted into the township where a triumphal arch had been erected and an address was presented. At Kimberley he had been sworn in as governor of Grinqualand West. Fifteen thousand people, it was estimated, turned out to meet and welcome him. From thence to Cape Town his journey was like a triumphal progress, the population at each place he passed through receiving him in flag-decorated streets, with escorts, triumphal arches, illuminations, and addresses. At Worcester, where he reached the railway, there was a banquet at which Sir Gordon Sprigg was also present. At Parle, which was the headquarters of the Dutch Afrikander League, and where some of the most influential Dutch families live, a similar reception was given him. Finally, at Cape Town, where, if anywhere, his policy was likely to find opponents among those who regarded from a provincial point of view, the inhabitants of all classes and sections, and of whatever origin, gave themselves up to according him a reception such as had never been surpassed in Cape Town. In England, complimentary local receptions and addresses to men in high office or of exalted rank do not ordinarily carry much meaning. Party tactics and organization account for a proportion of such manifestations, but the demonstration on this occasion cannot be so explained. There was no party organization to stimulate it. It was too general to confer notoriety on any of its promoters, and Sir B. Frere had not personally the power, even if he had had the will, to return compliments. And what made it the more remarkable was that there was no special victory or success or event of any kind to celebrate. End quote. On reaching Cape Town, a telegraphic message was handed to him, preparing him for his recall. By the statement that Sir H. Bulwer was to replace him as High Commissioner of the Transvaal, Natal, and all the adjoining eastern portions of South Africa, and that he was to confine his attention for the present to the Cape Colony. To deprive him of his authority as regarded Natal, Zululand, the Transvaal, which almost by his single hand and voice he had just saved from civil war, expressly to direct Colonel Lanyon to cease to correspond with him, was to discredit a public servant before all the world at the crisis of his work. Sir Bartle Frere's great object had been to bring about a confederation of all the different states and portions of South Africa, an object with which the home government was in sympathy. What was wanting to bring about confederation was confidence, 
founded on the permanent pacification and settlement of Zululand, the Transvaal, the Transkei, Pondoland, Basutoland, West Griqualand, and the border generally. How could there, under these circumstances, be confidence any longer? There was no doubt what he had meant to do. By many a weary journey he had made himself personally known throughout South Africa. His aims and intentions were never concealed, never changed. In confederating under his superintendence, all men knew what they were doing. But he was now to be superseded. Was his policy to be changed? And how? It was expected by the political authority in England that as soon as Mr. Gladstone came into power, Sir Bartle Frere, whose policy had been so strongly denounced, would be at once recalled. When the new Parliament met in May, the government found many of their supporters greatly dissatisfied that this had not been done. Notice of motion was given of an address to the Crown, praying for Sir B. Frere's removal. Certain members of Parliament met together several times at the end of May, and a memorial to Mr. Gladstone was drawn up, which was signed by about ninety of them, and sent to him on June 3rd, to the following effect quote, to the right honorable w e gladstone m p first lord of the treasury we the undersigned members of the liberal party respectfully submit that as there is a strong feeling throughout the country in favor of the recall of sir bartle frere it would greatly conduce to the unity of the party and relieve many members from the charge of breaking their pledges to their constituents if that step were taken. The first three signatures to this document were those of L. L. Dilwyn, Wilfrid Lawson, and Leonard Courtney. This has been called, not unjustly, a cynically candid document. The unity of the party and pledges to constituents are the only considerations alluded to in favor of the recall of a man to whose worth almost the whole of South Africa had witnessed, in spite of divided opinions concerning the Zulu War, for which he was only in a very minor degree responsible. The memorial to the government had its effect. The successor of Sir Bartle Frere was to be Sir Hercules Robinson. He was in New Zealand and could not reach the Cape at once. Therefore, Sir George Strahan was appointed ad interim governor, Sir Bartle being directed not even to await the arrival of the latter, but to leave by the earliest mail steamer. At the news of his recall, there arose for the second time a burst of sympathy from every town, village, and farm throughout the country, in terms of mingled indignation and sorrow. Footnote, there are between sixty and seventy resolutions and addresses recorded in the Blue Book, all passed unanimously except in one case at Stellenbosch, where a minority opposed the resolution. The spokesman of the minority, however, based his opposition not on Frere's general policy, still less on his character, but as a protest against an excise act, which was one of Mr. Spring's measures. End footnote. The addresses and resolutions being spontaneous at each place varied much and laid stress on different points, 
but in all there was a tone of deep regret, of conviction that Sir B. Frere's policy and his actions had been wise, just, and merciful towards all men, and of hope that the British government and people would in time learn the truth. One from Farmers of East London concludes, quote, May God Almighty bless you and grant you and yours a safe passage to the mother country. Give you grace before our sovereign lady the queen and eloquence to vindicate your righteous cause before the British nation. The address of the natives of Mount Cake is pathetic in its simplicity of language. Quote, our hearts are very bitter this day. We hear that the queen calls you to England. We have not heard that you are sick. Then why have you to leave us? By you we have now peace. We sleep now without fear. Old men tell us of a good governor Durban, Sir Benjamin Durban, who had to leave before his good works became law, but red coals were under the ashes which he left. Words of wicked men, when he left, like the wind blew up the fire, and the country was again in war. So also Sir George Grey, a good governor, good to tie up the hands of bad men, good to plant schools, good to feed the hungry, good to have mercy and feed the heathen when dying from hunger, he also had to leave us. We do not understand this, but your excellency is not to leave us. Natal has now peace by you. We have peace by you because God and the queen sent you. Do not leave us. Surely it is not the way of the queen to leave her children here unprotected until peace is everywhere. We shall ever pray for you as well as for the queen. These are our words to our good governor, though he turns his back on us. End quote. The Malays and other Orientals, of whom there is a considerable population at Cape Town, looked upon Frere, a former Indian statesman, as their special property. The address from the Mohammedan subjects of the Queen says, quote, We regret that our gracious Queen has seen fit to recall Your Excellency. We cannot help thinking it is through a mistake. The white subjects of Her Majesty have had good friends and good rulers in former governors, but Your Excellency has been the friend of white and colored alike. Quote. The following letter is from Sir John Ackerman, a member of the Legislative Council of Natal. Quote, August ninth, eighteen eighty. Having become aware of your recall to England from the office of Governor of the Cape of Good Hope, etc., etc. I cannot allow your departure to take place without conveying to you, which I hereby do, the profound sense I have of the faithful and conscientious manner in which you have endeavored to fulfill those engagements which, at the solicitation of Great Britain, you entered upon in 1877. The policy was not your own, but was thrust upon you. Having given in London in 1876 advice to pursue a different course in South Africa from the one then all the fashion and ultimately confided to yourself, it affords to me the greatest pleasure to testify to the consistency of the efforts put forth by you to carry out the then plan of those who commissioned you and avail themselves of your acknowledged skill and experience. As a public man of long standing in South Africa, 
I would likewise add that since the days of Sir G. Gray, no governor but yourself has grasped the native question here at all, and I feel confident that had your full authority been retained and not harshly wrested from you, even at the eleventh hour, initiatory steps of a reformatory nature with respect to the natives would have been taken, which it is the duty of Britain to follow while she holds her sovereignty over these parts. End quote. Sir Gordon Sprigg wrote, quote, August 29, 1880, I don't feel able yet to give expression to my sentiments of profound regret that Her Majesty's government have thought it advisable to recall you from the post which you have held with such conspicuous advantage to South Africa. They have driven from South Africa the best friend it has ever known. For myself, I may say, that in the midst of all the difficulties with which I have been surrounded, I have always been encouraged and strengthened by the cheerful view you have taken of public affairs, and that I have never had half an hour's conversation with Your Excellency without feeling a better, and, I believe, a wiser man. End quote. Madame Koopmans de Wet, a lady of an old family, Dutch of the Dutch, wrote to him November 16, 1880, quote, It is with feelings of the deepest sorrow that I take the liberty of addressing these lines to you. What is to be the end of all this now? For now, particularly, do the Cape people miss their governor, for now superior qualities in everything are wanted. Dear Sir Bartle, you know the material we have. It is good. But who is to guide? It is plain to every thinking mind that our position is becoming more critical every day. But with deep sorrow, let me say, England's, or rather Downing Street's treatment, has not tightened the bonds between the mother country and us. You know we have a large circle of acquaintances, and I cannot say how taken aback I sometimes am to hear their words. See, in all former wars, there was a moral support in the thought that England, our England, was watching over us. Now there is but one cry. We shall have no imperial help. Why is this? We have lost confidence in a government who could play with our welfare, and among the many injuries done us, the greatest was to remove from among us a ruler such as your excellency was. End quote. As the day drew near, the Cape Town people were perplexed how to express adequately their feelings on the occasion. It was suggested that on the day he was to embark, the whole city would mourn with shops closed, flags half-mast high, and in profound silence. But more cheerful counsels prevailed. He was to leave by the Pretoria on the afternoon of September 15th. Special trains had brought in contingents from the country, the open space in front of Government House, Pline Street, Church Square, Adderley Street, the Dock Road, the front of the railway station, the wharves, the housetops, and every available space whence a view of the procession could be procured was closely packed. The Governor's carriage left Government House at half-past four. Volunteer cavalry furnishing the escort and volunteer rifles, engineers, and cadets falling in behind. 
and amid farewell words and ringing cheers moves slowly along the streets gay with flags and decorations at the dock gates the horses were taken out and men drew the carriage to the quay where the praetoria lay alongside here the general the ministers and other leading people were assembled and the ninety-first regiment which had been drawn up presented arms the band played god save the queen and the volunteer artillery fired a salute as the governor for the last time stepped off african soil End of chapter six a recording by bill mosley lano county texas u s a